0: Section Fifteen of Obermann. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Obermann by Etienne Pivert de Senancour, translated by Arthur Edward Waite, eighteen fifty-seven to nineteen forty-two. Second Year Letters eighteen nineteen and twenty letter eighteen fontainebleau august seventeen two even in this place it is only the evening that i love the dawn it is true charms me but it is for a moment only i believe that i might realise its beauty were it not for the length of the day which follows it it is true that i have a free field to roam in but it is deficient in wildness it falls short of the august degree it is tame in its outlines its rocks are insignificant and monotonous its vegetation for the most part lacks that force and profusion which are needful to me there is no roar of any torrent through inaccessible depths it is a world of plains nothing overwhelms me nothing satisfies me if possible my weariness increases surely it is because my sufferings are insufficient am i happier on this account by no means to suffer and to be unhappy are not identical conditions to be happy and to enjoy are also not terms that can be interchanged my condition is easy and yet i lead a melancholy life i could not well be better off than i am free tranquil faring well emancipated from business indifferent as to a future from which i expect nothing and relinquishing without any regret a past which i have never enjoyed yet there is a disquietude within me which will not depart a want unknown which dominates and absorbs me which takes me past all perishable existence you are mistaken as i was also mistaken it is not the privation of love there is a vast distance between the void of my heart and the love which it has desired so much but there is the infinite between that which i am and that which i yearn to be love is great it is not illimitable i have no craving for mere enjoyment it is hope that i ask for it is knowledge that i would attain unbounded illusions are necessary to me illusions receding ever to deceive me always of what consequence to me is anything that can end the hour which sixty years hence must come for me is here already i dislike that which impends draws nigh comes to pass and then is no more i seek a boon a dream in a word a hope to go always before me beyond me greater than my longing itself greater than that which passes away i would encompass all intelligence i would that the eternal order of the world and thirty years since that order was but i had no part therein fleeting and futile accident i existed not and again i shall not exist i realise with astonishment that my conceptions are greater than my nature and when i consider that my life is ridiculous in my own eyes i am lost in impenetrable darkness happier no doubt is the man who hews wood burns charcoal and blesses himself with holy water whenever the thunder growls he lives like the brute nay but he sings at his work his peace i shall not know and yet like him i shall pass away with time his life slips by the agitations the anxieties the spectres of an unknown grandeur delude and hurry forward my own letter nineteen fontainebleau august eighteen two there are moments notwithstanding when i find myself imbued with hope and the sense of freedom time and the things of time confront me majestic in their harmony and a feeling of happiness comes over me as if happiness might indeed be mine i surprise myself in the act of reverting to my former years again i discern in the rose the delight of its beauties and all its heavenly eloquence what i happy it is impossible but i am notwithstanding and happy even to plenitude as he who starting from some dreadful dream is restored to a life of peace and freedom as he who issues from the vile durance of a dungeon and after ten years looks once again upon the peace of the sky happy even as the man who loves her whom he has snatched from destruction but the supreme moment passes a cloud before the sun obscures its fruitful light the birds are silenced the growing shadow sweeps away my dream and my joy before it then i start walking i go forward my pace hastens but again i return sadly and presently i re-enter the woods lest the sun should again shine forth and yet in all this there is something which soothes and consoles what is it i can hardly say but time does not cease its progress when my suffering lulls me to sleep and i love to watch the ripening of the fruit which will fall in the autumn wind letter twenty fontainebleau august twenty seven two how little is essential for the man who is anxious merely to live and how much for him who would live in contentment and make use of his days happy would he be who had the strength to renounce felicity confessing that it is too impracticable but is it necessary to remain always alone peace itself is a melancholy boon if one has no hope of sharing it there are many i admit who can find sufficient permanence in some advantage of the moment and others can restrict themselves to a mode of life which is devoid of order and taste i have seen such a person trimming his beard before a broken glass the children's linen was hung out of the window and one of their dresses over the frying-pan handle their mother was washing them close by a bare table where hashed meat and the bones of the sunday turkey were served on cracked plates there might have been soup but the cat had upset the broth people call this a simple life for myself i term it an unfortunate one if occasional miserable if compulsory and permanent while if voluntary and not under protest if one is content to live on in this style then i term it a ridiculous existence the contempt of riches has a very fine sound in books but with an establishment and no money a man must either be void of feeling or endowed with invincible strength now given a great character i question whether one would stoop to such a life to all that is fortuitous we defer but to bow the will perpetually under such a yoke of misery is to accept the misery are not stoics of this order deficient in that sense of the fitness of things which should tell us that a life like this is not in consonance with our nature their simplicity stripped of all order elegance and decency rather recalls to my mind the unclean self-denials of a mendicant monk or the savage penances of a fakir than philosophical fortitude and indifference there is a neatness a care a congruity a harmony in simplicity itself the persons to whom i allude do not possess a tenpenny glass but they frequent the theatre they have broken china and fine clothes their ruffles are elaborately plaited but their skirts are of coarse linen if they go for a walk it is invariably to the champs elyses it pleases these hermits say people to observe the passers-by and to do so they become objects of their contempt sitting on a few blades of grass amidst the dust raised by the crowd in their impassive philosophy they disdain arbitrary conventions they eat their buns on the ground between the dogs and the children and the coming and going of innumerable feet there they study mankind gossiping with nurses and maid servants. there they meditate abroadside forewarning kings of the perils of ambition reproving the luxury of society instructing all men how to moderate their appetites to live in accordance with nature and to eat the cakes of nanterre i will not dwell on the subject further if i led you too far into the temptation of jesting on certain themes you might ridicule in return the strange fashion in which i am living just now in my forest and it may well be somewhat childish to make a desert for oneself so close to a capital you must admit all the same that it is a far cry from my woods in the vicinity of paris to a tub in athens and i will grant in return that the greeks civilised like ourselves had a larger licence for eccentric behaviour as they were nearer to ancient times the tub was chosen for the purpose of leading publicly and in the maturity of age the life of a sage therein that is extraordinary enough but the extraordinary did not particularly offend the greeks usage and accepted conventions by no means constituted their supreme code with them everything might possess its individual character and that which was ordinary and universal was that which was rare among them as a people who were initiating or pursuing the experiment of social life they courted experience of institutions and customs without deciding which habits were exclusively good but we who have no room left for doubt on this matter we who have chosen in all things the best that is possible of all do well to consecrate even the lesser manners and to visit with our contempt any man who is sufficiently stupid to forsake such a well-known beaten track for the rest and in all seriousness my excuse as one who has no ambition to copy the cynics is the fact that i do not take credit for the caprices of a young man nor do i in the midst of others by any direct method oppose my ways to theirs in things which are not enjoined me by duty i indulge myself in a single eccentricity which of itself is indifferent but one which in certain respects i consider to be for my own good it might offend some ways of thinking but this as it seems to me is the sole inconvenience which can be suffered and i conceal it from others in order that the inconvenience may be avoided End of section 15.